it takes a really a certain type of person that can be a missionary in the Amazon. You've got to know that that you're you're saying yes to living in a remote, hard place. Everybody loves to visit the Amazon. Not many people want to live in the Amazon. This is the Relentless Pursuit podcast, where we hear stories from cross-cultural workers on what it's really like to be a missionary, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So Jess, do you remember much about your first few weeks and days and months on the field when you moved to Japan? Oh, absolutely. Oh my gosh. I mean, I just remember like my first night being like going to sleep in my team leader's home and being like, what have I gotten myself into? And just it's kind real of freaking now. out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it was so real. And I think that those first few months are just so pivotal and so impactful, even just like on the rest of your ministry. So yes, I absolutely do remember. And that's going to be a little bit of the theme for today's interview, isn't it? Yes, that's right. We have Aaron joining us. Aaron and his wife, Ceci, and family moved to Peru um, as at the beginning of their field service, and they had been in church ministry for years before that, before God called them to Peru. And so they share a lot um, about what it's like those first few weeks and days and months and some of the the challenges you face and just some of the crazy things that happen. And then also they end up serving later on in Peru, caring for other people as they're coming to the field and helping them debrief and understand what what it's going to be like and what their priorities should be in terms of learning language and culture and spiritual formation in the early um, days and months and weeks and years of their ministry that can then prepare them for fruitful time Long term. So, we're looking forward to this conversation with Aaron. Yeah, we're going to jump right into one of his early experiences soon after he arrived on the field. So, my first, uh, my first introduction to cross cultural ministry was our second week on the field. Uh, we were we were in language at language school in Arequipa, Peru. Our task was learning Spanish over the next six months. And uh, we were there, my, myself, my wife, my four children, 11 years old, down to four years old. We just kind of arrived. We got like a really short orientation introduction to the city and to where our language class was. And we basically spent the first week or two just kind of like living in our home and then like going out for like five minutes and then coming, you know, coming right back. And then we would like have friends like order like pizza for us because we didn't know how to speak the language and talk on the phone. And so the pizza would show up one day. And so after a week of this or so, I was like, okay, we went, we've got eaten through all of our groceries. I think it's my turn, my time to get out and to like, go get like some real fast food and like try it. And so it was uh, in, it was in the evening, the sun was down where I was, I had walked around our block a number of times to kind of get a lay of the land. And I noticed there was a place called Mr. Pollo like Mr. Chicken. And it was a chicken rotisserie place that does chicken and French fries and salad. And, um, and so I was like, okay, tonight I'm going to go over there and I'm going to get a family sized chicken meal and I'm going to bring it home and I'm going to be the hero. And so bring I, home the bacon. <laughs> exactly. So I'm like, it got towards the end of the evening and it's like, it was time to get some food. And so I walk in, walk down the street, walk around the corner. I go to Mr. Pollo and um, the whole process is a little bit 
to, to, to buy food in, in a foreign place in Peru, you have to do a lot of different steps, right? And so it's already confusing right away. Like you pay at this place and then you take that ticket to another place. They take your ticket and they look at it and they tell somebody else and then they give you your ticket back and then you have to go to another place and wait. And then you pick your food up in another place. And so for me, I'm like, I first went to the wrong you know, I went to the wrong little place and I, I, she told me to go somewhere else. It was really just kind of disorienting my first time out. I finally figured it all out. And then the guy's putting, uh, you know, assembling my meal. It's all done. He's putting it in the plastic, got the little salad and the French fries and the chicken. And, uh, and he puts it in a bag and he brings it over to the, to this kind of the, the, the table that is between the, the, the kitchen and the outside, you know, seating area. And he sets it there. And uh, he leans over the counter and he puts his arm up on the counter, like in a arm wrestling position. And I'm like, what's this? Like, I'm not seeing this. And he's like, beckons me over. He's like, come on, like, come on. Wrestle. I'm like, what? You want me to? Like, I think (laughs) this guy wants me to arm wrestle him for this chicken. (laughs) <laughs> what is going on? Like, I know, okay, maybe I missed something. Like, I'm looking like, okay, did I, like, I couldn't, I, I was like, okay, is this guy serious? He wants me to arm wrestle him to get my chicken, you know? And so I'm like, okay, fine. So I grab his hand. I rest my elbow down across from his elbow. We're looking at each other. He's laughing and giggling. It's the funniest thing he's ever seen. And I'm just totally like, just not, not sure what's going on. You know, one, two, three, and we start, we go at it, right? He's pushing, I'm pushing, we're pushing, and I finally get it, and I get him down after a minute or two of, of arm wrestling. I, I, I beat him, and he leans back, and he says some Spanish stuff to the other guys that were watching, you know, in the corner, and I was a little bit, I was still very confused, and he was laughing, and then he grabs the bag, and then he gives it to me, and so I'm just, like, holding the bag. I'm looking at him. I'm looking around, like, what just what just happened? Like, I, so I can go, like I beat you in the arm wrestle. So now I could go, what would have happened if I didn't beat him? What if he beat me? Right, would I have, right. Like, mm-hmm. What's going on? And so I walked back, I explained to my wife, you know, what happened, how confusing it was. And she, you know, she was just as confused as I was because she had never heard of anything. My kids thought it was funny. And then I go to a language class the next morning with our language helper. And uh, I asked her, I was like, Anna say, what is going on in this country? Like I went to this place and I got, I ordered chicken and then this guy wanted to arm wrestle me for this chicken and I beat him. And so he gave it to me. Like, is this normal? Are we supposed to arm wrestle for our chicken at these restaurants? <laughs> <All> the <time. laughs> yeah. Right. Like, is this a normal thing? And she just laughed and said, no, she didn't believe me. But she's like, no, that's not what we do. I think he was just, happy to see a foreigner who obviously didn't know any English and he was just going to make fun and do and that, you know, make a joke and have a funny situation. And so you got to, you got to experience it. I have never, she said, I'm say, I have never had to arm wrestle or heard of anyone arm wrestling mm-hmm. for chicken, but it sounds like you had a, a good experience. So I was like, well, <laughs> I don't know if it was good, but it was unique. So that was our <laughs> first like baptism into cross-cultural world, learning about living in a new land and culture and how to order chicken. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. nice. So I'm guessing you didn't have to arm wrestle this guy every single year you went to that place. Never again. That has never come up. Uh, Only, only that one time did I have to arm wrestle chicken for my chicken. Right. Right. Yeah. 
It was. Man. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, cool. Yeah. So what was like daily life like look like? I mean, I guess you just continuing to learn language and buy chicken and all of that. Yeah, the your first few years on the field, it's really, you know, those first six months, it's just like, what are the rhythms of life that are gonna help us to 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 be here long term? And so so we were in that city for about six months and you know, you you kinda hit you kind of get dropped off you know, from the airplane and you get, you, know, you have a few people that are helping you in the beginning, but then your first six months is just like letting the, the weirdness and the confusion and the newness just kind of wash over you. And you just are like looking for, you're looking for rhythms and a schedule to try to live by like, okay, we have to get up at seven. We have to walk to language class. We have three hours of language class. We go, uh, we have to drop our children off at some point, go pick our children up. We have to go to the grocery store. We have certain, you know, connections and meeting times with friends um, to practice our, our our Spanish in our in our case. And so it's just kind of a bunch of fits. Your first six months was like fits and starts of trying to just find your grounding and 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 kind of where you are and and get your family and your kids and everyone into kind of a rhythm so that you can make a make sense of the world. Yeah. Yeah. What did grounding look for y'all look like for y'all? Yeah. So we would, um, so we would, uh, we had, we put our children in the, the local private school so that they could get some Spanish immersion. And so our morning started real early and we would walk them to school and then on the way to school, um, or, or after, you know, after school, we dropped them off and then we'd go to our language class. And then basically by the time we finished language school, they would be released uh, for the day. And then we go pick them up and we would walk back. It was about a 45 minute walk, uh, in the morning and about a 45 minute walk back. There were some grocery stores and shops and stuff along the way. And so if we needed to get anything for that evening, we would try to kind of like take advantage of being out. Um, and then, um, after a few months, we started, our Spanish started getting better. We got more familiar with the bus lines. Our first time on a bus, we got lost and, you know, we were like two hours away and we're like asking people for help, how to find our way back to our part of town. But after a while, you know, we we figured it out and got more comfortable and began to like venture out more. And so we started having gatherings of other, you know, missionaries, cross-cultural workers at our home and at other people's homes. Then we started volunteering with our local church. We'd go up to the mountains where the um, the Quechua and the Aymara people were having, having church uh, church plants were being done up there. And so we would go on Saturdays, our whole family. And in order to practice our Spanish, just go with them, accompany our, our local church and see what they're doing and kind of get in, involved in some ministry. Um, within a few months, they started asking me to preach uh, at the local oh, wow. little church. Yeah. With no, no Spanish. Right. And so I'm getting my, uh, you know, getting my translator out. My very first sermon, it was like, I had like a 35 or 40 minute, you know, window and I had my language helper and I would go through all the process. I typed it all out in English. And then I went with my language helper slowly through every word and concept and phrase. And we translated it word for word for you know, concept by concept. And I had my chance. I got up, I did my Spanish and my sermon was like nine and a half minutes long. <laughs> and, and I just, I just sat They were down. expecting more than that, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They had 45 minutes they were leaning in, yeah. and my sermon 
my capacity for Spanish was nine minutes. So that's what they got. And then they sang some songs and we got let out of church early on Sunday. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. I'm great. sure no one complained. I'm sure no one yeah, complained. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just a bunch of that, right? Like just failing forward, yeah. learning the ropes by messing up and just not giving up and you know, living uh, in this new land and the mystery that is there, but just, we really did love it a lot. And um, it, it was very stressful. It was very, um, yeah, it was, it was hard at some times, but man, God was so faithful in that. And just our hearts were always just kind of like, yes, this is where we're supposed to be. This is so fun to learn. And, you know, we laugh at ourselves because we would make mistakes all the time, but you know, it just was a, a beautiful it was a really time that you really can't reproduce your first six months living cross-culturally. You can't reclaim that. You can't relive that anywhere mm-hmm. in, at any other time in your life, right? Even if you move to a new country or a new place, those first six months of brand new living in a new place that you've never lived cross-culturally before is a just, it's precious. It's hard, but it's so precious of a, of an experience that you just, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's unique. So take us back a little bit to where where you were, what you were doing even before hmm. you arrived in Peru, Aaron. Yes. So um, my wife and I, uh, we were called into full-time ministry when we were in our early 20s. Um, I was I went to Bible school to become a youth pastor and in, in pastoral ministry right out of high school. And so I went to Bible school my first four years. During those four years, I met my wife. Um, those four years turned to six years because uh, we started having children. And so I didn't graduate right <laughs> away, <laughs> but we got in ministry right away. And it was U.S. ministry. We, we served in Florida. And then after about four or five years, we, we moved to North Carolina and did ministry there for a few years. And then finally, um, a church in California asked us to serve in, uh, with, with them. And, um, and so like our life trajectory was, you know, full-time ministry full-time American church, kind of the classic church, you know, working on staff at a church model. Yeah. But um, like a two years into our stint at in California, God really just began to stir something in our hearts for missions. And it's really, it was weird because um, we weren't, we don't, we didn't really know anything about missions. We didn't, we don't come from missions background. Neither of our families really are, are, were strongly involved in church in general, not only being on staff at church, that was different enough for our fa- both of our families. And so to hear this call of missions, we always just thought missions was, you know, go on a two week mission trip and uh, take your, go to the inner city and make, you know, make food and care packages for people. But that, mm-hmm. that was the extent, you know, of missions. Maybe you would have, have missionaries, you know, come through your church and hear the stories, but this particular year, we would go through the rhythm in our family of just like asking God for like a theme verse or a theme for the year. Like in, in January one, we would begin to pray, Lord, what do you have for us this year? And this particular year, uh, I think it was 2012 or 2013. I can't remember, but we both, Ceci and I both got our, um, our hearts were given missions, the word missions. We couldn't, mm. I was, I just felt missions and I didn't really get more context except the word missions. And she did, heard the same exact thing in her own private time. She heard the word missions. And so we were like, wow, that that's, that's interesting that they line up. And so we're like, Lord, what, what is this? And so we went back to him together and was like, Lord, what is, what does missions mean? What does that look like for this year? But we didn't get any like answers. 
about specifics. And so we just say, well, God's not really saying specifically. So we're just going to just kind of lean in, like whatever God brings our way for missions, we're going to just say yes, you know. And so yeah. that year we, uh, we took in an exchange student from China and lived in our home. Um, they, they went to local, he, he went to local high school and we just housed him. You know, he lived in our house. We made food and, and took him places and, and helped him kind of get, get settled in America for his first high school career. And then, uh, my wife, you know, felt a burden to, to fund like a water well in some place in Asia. And so we raised, you know, two grand and we did a water well in Asia. And then um, we started sharing with our friends and praying through with some of our friends. One of our friends um, was from Mexico and she they had contacts with like a unreached tribe in the mountains of Mexico. And so so they invited us like, hey, instead of going on vacation this year, why don't you go to this, have this experience and kind of visit some of our friends in Mexico? So we said yes to that. We were among unreached, you know, the Mixteco people of of uh, in the mountains of Mexico and just all these things started like opening our eyes to like wow there's like there's something going on in the world there's this mission call this opportunity that we weren't really aware of and uh, by October I think of that year just it was very clear on our hearts just God just kind of like burdened us he kind of broke us for missions like we couldn't think yeah. of anything else but following the Lord to unreached and un unmarked places by the gospel to do the work and we were so green and so like totally un you know totally didn't know anything about what what this was that we were like well is it even responsible for us to, we have our four kids we're going to tra traipse them mm -hmm. around the whole world what you know do people even do that do missionaries even have large families on mm -hmm, the mission mm -hmm. field and we find <laughs> yes they have lots of them have large families on the mission field. um but we just were so ignorant about all of that process Yet God was faithful to us through that. We had a number of friends that spoke into that had been in mission, speaking to our life. And, and one of them was a, a dear friend who had worked for a mission agency in Africa. And he told me, well, if, if you're not coming to Africa, then you got to go with pioneers. Um, we just fell in love with the with with the culture, with the, the, the values and all that. And so we we jumped in and, and joined uh, joined pioneers and that led us to Peru. And it was a surprise uh, for us. We were thinking we were going to be in Spain. We wanted to work with in the Spanish world. And um, but because our kids situation, there's four of them. They needed a lot of school help. Right. They were real little. Um, we, we really looked around uh, at what Pioneers offered. And um, though we were our, our, our thoughts and our heart was in Europe, we thought Europe was the place. Uh, pioneers in Peru and the Amazon specifically was the was the place that was the best fit for our whole family, and so we kind of moved our gaze from Europe, and God put our hearts in uh, the Amazon jungle in Peru, and so um, we we raised our support, got on the got on a plane about eighteen months later, and landed in Arequipa, which is a which is a city to learn Spanish. And then six months later, we moved to um, to the Amazon and began working uh, on our team in the in the Amazon. So that's kind right. of right. So when you yeah yeah when you say Amazon, like I just pictured like a hut in the jungle with like alligators and anacondas and like jaguars like 
growling in the distance and stuff sure. like that. I mean, like, is that like what it looked like? I mean, what did what did moving to the Amazon like? What did your home look like? What did your mm-hmm. area look like? Yes, uh, we lived in the in Pucallpa, which is a small town uh, in kind of the the jungle region, right? And so it was. It's kind of it was like the last frontier town okay like uh-huh. the old west like it's the last frontier town before it gets wild you know and so right. we had running water electricity internet at our home our house was you know brick with a tin roof no air conditioning um uh, but it w- had modern conveniences we had a refrigerator and a stove and things like that uh-huh. and so but within five minutes um, you know, uh, either way up and down the Amazon river, it got wild very quickly. Right. Um, and so we had a lot of, a lot of birds and bugs that lived in and around our home and bats. Yeah. The three B's really birds, bugs, and bats were a normal part mm-hmm. of our life. Uh, jaguars and anacondas and alligators, um, were not actually seen very often, um hunting you know there's not a lot of hunting regulations in peru and so those things unless you were really deep into the jungle very far in um you wouldn't really see a lot of wildlife um except for the three except for the three bees birds bees and or birds bugs and bats would be very very normal so so you're kind of like on the fringe of the jungle sort of like if you picture like in the movies like Mowgli coming out of the jungle and like you know he's like peeking out of the trees and then all of a sudden there's Mm -hmm. like a little village something kind of like that correct correct and that village or town or whatever would be where we kind of based out of and our our children had a missionary school there that that they went to and my wife taught there and then my job was to bring new new missionaries who are coming to the field right so after about a year and a half or two years of us kind of getting settled, new missionaries started coming to our area. And my job uh, was to help them in their orientation, like to, to walk them through what we had just walked through um, and explaining things, being a kind of a person that can help bring context to all of the crazy that happens your first two years on the field and walk them through a process of about a year learning language and culture, giving them some training and then accompanying them to one of our teams that was living out in more of the remote areas uh, among the tribal people groups. And so our family never actually lived in a hut down by the river, but my job was to go and hang my hammock and visit those and accompany people to those, uh, those huts down by the river. And so I did a lot of that, um, but I never actually lived there Um for long periods, you know, maybe a month or so I could be out there, but not more than that. Right, right. So, so, but there are huts next to the yes. river in the yes. middle of what the jungle. You, what you envision <laughs> is true. Just it wasn't true about our, nece- yeah. our story necessarily. But yes, most of our work that we do among the unreached people of the Amazon are in these very remote places uh, at the ends. You know, you talk about ends of the earth ministry, like that's it. You know, it takes three days on a little five horsepower canoe run you know five horsepower motor uh peke peke it's called because that's the sound it makes peke 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 up up a river system to a remote tribal village and we have a team there that's doing church planting and gospel work uh in a in in a tribal language not in spanish but in a tribal language and um and and our role was to help them make that transition as smooth as, po- as smooth as we could so that they could live there for 10 or 15 years as they 
uh, shared the gospel in that in that tribal language among those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So what what did your children think of this hmm. of this transition from living in California? You know, being part of a church family there where you're on staff and now a completely different cultural context. Mm. Yeah. Especially since your oldest was 11, you said, right? So, I mean, they're young, but they're not like a baby. Right. Right. Yeah. And and we were worried about that. We were very aware of that dynamic at play and we knew we couldn't just kind of throw them to the wolves and per per se. Um, But we needed to be intentional about caring for their hearts and knowing that they're included in this um, like we're a missionary family, not just, it's not just my dream. This is something we're having to take to go together in. And so part of us choosing, uh, the, the, the Amazon was because there were, were, was there, there were a few teams of veteran missionaries that have been on the field that had kids that they raised, you know, on the field. And then there was this option of sending our children to a missionary school, um, that really helped us like say, yes, to that because we knew the transition was going to be difficult. So there's a couple of good stories that just come out of that, that just, um, bless my heart. When I remember them, uh, our first, uh, our first, first few months, uh, we put our boys and girls, um, sorry, two boys and two girls, and we sent them to this, um, uh, private Spanish uh, school to kind of just be immersed. We didn't care about their grades. Like we weren't tracking any of that. We just wanted them to spend a whole day immersed in Spanish among peers and that they would learn while we're learning in, in, in language school. And the first week, everyone was very, like, we were all stressed out about it. We were going to class for the first time in language. We were dropping them off to this new place. We didn't know anybody. We were just trusting about the people who recommended them that they should go here. And so like our first day, we just held each other and cried at the front gate of the school, <laughs> right? And then just like sent our four-year-old and our 11-year-old and nine-year-old and six-year-old into this, you know, into this school. And the people were so kind and nice, but it just was so much. And as our Spanish got a little better uh, over the months, we would go back and we just always would check in with the teacher, like in the principal, how are they doing? How are they doing? How are they doing? And she was all, you know, they're always, oh, they're doing fine. They're doing fine. As our Spanish got a little better, though, um, we we asked one day of how they were doing, and she was she, the the principal said, "Yeah, they were their first few weeks in uh, here. Um, I think it was very difficult for them. Uh, I would regularly find the boys uh, in the bathroom at the same time, just crying and holding each other as they were comforting oh one another because they were in different classes. But they would find each other in the bathroom and cry and hold each other as they're like, this is hard, <laughs> you know, kind of thing." But we always finished our our week. If we had a good week and everyone was like, yes, we had a good week. And we'd celebrate by going on the way home from our from school. Uh, we'd walk by uh, a few markets and one of them was an ice cream shop. And so we'd always on Friday stop by and kind of like, we made it through another week, boys and girls. We did it. Let's have ice cream and, and just kind of celebrate each week. And it really pulled our family to get together in a way that was, yeah, it was it was really beautiful and God was so gracious in that to keep us knit together and to kind of pull on some of our healthy rhythms that we had practiced over the years. We really needed them then. Um, so much so that about a year in, um, we were now living in Pucallpa in the jungle and we had gone on a trip together as a family. So all six of us went on a, went with our team 
three days on a big canoe type boat with a with a, with a small engine and we went to the went basically to the ends of the earth and went and visited a tribal people group that our team was working with and was looking to to develop a and put a team there long term and so we all like went for this visit all we're going to do bible story and stuff but we knew that there was a, a a chance for malaria and so we took medicine and all this all these things because the amazon has malaria we got back everything was a great trip no one got hurt nothing was bad we got back and about three weeks later our daughter comes down with a severe fever like a like a super spike like 104 degree fever boiling hot all this stuff put her in the shower after a few hours it breaks and we're like what the heck was that and then it happened the next day and it happened a third time and then some of our friends are like "Uh oh though malaria is rare in our area she's got it and so we went through this whole thing going to you know go into the hospital trying to get malaria medication it was a big long maybe four day ordeal of trying to finally get her treated for malaria in that time like this was like right at our one year anniversary of being on the field right at that time we were just so kind of um overwhelmed emotionally by all the things that were happening i mean a, a peruvian hospital the public peruvian hospital can look more like a zombie ward in a video game where there's like green oh stuff like mm -hmm. growing from the ceiling tiles there's people laying on the floors that are moaning and crying and bleeding mm -hmm. and we're sitting in there with our daughter she's got malaria we're like this doesn't look good right and you're there for a few days and there's mosquitoes in the hospital right and so mm -hmm. we're like oh my what gosh. other things like so just so much like our mat like we were maxed out on stress like we just couldn't we couldn't do anything more yeah. i and then Ceci and I had to switch off. So we would go to the hospital because we had three kids. So one would be in the hospital, one would be at home. And then we had every four hours or six hours, we'd do a switcheroo. One of these switcheroos, our first switcheroo, I went home and my wife went to the hospital and I was kind of overwhelmed. And my 11-year-old was there and he was wanting to know what was up. And I got home and I saw his face and we talked a little bit. I gave him an update and I just kind of collapsed in his arms crying. And he... Like he grabbed me, right? And he held me and he said, dad, it's going to be okay. And we prayed wow. and hugged. And I said, I, I'm not worried either. I know Jesus is here. He's going to fix all this. But it was so special. And it was so such a deep thing that God did uh, in that suffering and clarified so much that after she got out of the hospital and she was fine, right? And she responded to the medicine immediately that we after that experience we just said we know we're supposed to be here like we could not imagine living anywhere else or doing anything else with our life and at that point our daughter was in the hospital she had malaria we we're all that like nobody would have blamed us if we came off the field at that moment nobody would have told us we were bad people or made an unwise decision and we shouldn't have like they would have just said, yeah, you're going home. Makes sense. Come on back. Like you gave it a good try. You did a year and it didn't work. No problem. But in that moment, God's grace and sovereignty was just showered on us and just said, no, you can do this. And I have something for you here. <clears throat> and so we saw, we served another six and a half years in that context and, and walked with new missionaries to help them walk through their amazing, you know, hill uh, mountains mountain experiences and their deepest valleys like we i think god was preparing us 
in that so that we could help others do the same. Yeah, that's amazing that, that, that it happened at the very time that you felt you were at the bottom, you know, yes. or just that it's the, that to have a situation like that be the determining factor to know that you're supposed to stay. I think some people would say, well, I knew I was supposed to stay because, you know, someone got saved or, um, you know, we were able to get a, a really good deal on an apartment or something like mm -hmm. that. But to have your child get malaria, that that's a little unconventional, I think, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. for, as it, as, as the sealing the deal for you to stay there. That's pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, so when awesome. you think about um, the, the, the people that you worked with that came through and that, you know, you helped prepare for long-term service, what are some of the things that were kind of common denominators that you wanted to kind of build into their experience and allow them to experience? You know, obviously there's certain things that you'd prepare them for and other things you probably wanted them to experience the full scope of the good and the suffering. bad so that yeah the <laughs> suffering exactly you don't want to shield them from that so what are some of those things that were kind of common threads that that you really wanted people to experience in the in that launch experience as they were mm. um landing there in peru yeah our, our our main um focus of the most of the hours of each week was around language and culture acquisition um when you move to the Amazon, you're saying yes to two languages because <clears throat> the Spanish speaking Peruvians are reached with the gospel and they have churches that are self-sustaining and they're doing fine. Right. I mean, they're doing great. Yeah. Um, but the, the it's the tribal language and it's the tribal peoples that still have need of the gospel. There's still 33 unreached tribes there that don't have healthy churches. And so our goal was to, 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 to send people to those, to those places. And right. if Peruvians wanted to join us, great, you know, but, but we were, we were focused on those tribal people. So to say yes, first of all, to two languages and, uh, um, is a big commitment. You know, it's, it's not, it's not an easy thing to say, I'm going to take the next five to 10 years and learn two new languages so that I can be effective, uh, in church planning and gospel work. So within that, that was like, that, that was what, like our, our biggest, our biggest push was like language culture, language culture, language culture. Mm -hmm. And so we would give them about a year to do that. And we had a system that we took them through. Now the system we took them through was also something that they could with Spanish, they could then use that same system to learn a tribal language. So we taught them how to learn a tribal language by teaching them how to learn Spanish in this kind of um, mm -hmm. uh, this language. It's a language program that we did. Mm -hmm. The secondary things that we did was, yeah, we took them out into the jungle. Um, we have weird foods, weird drinks, weird experiences that you can only get by getting out there and pitching your tent and hanging around and being with tribal people and, and, and learning their, their, you know, their ways. And so there's a certain level of how do you make a fire? How do you clean and kill it or kill and clean a chicken? Uh, how do you find grubs and food? What foods are like, what, what vegetables that are grown here are safe? What are not safe? Uh, how do you take a bath in the river? Right? Like <laughs> you, you, you learn to take a bath in the river. And the first time that you try to take a bath in the river and you lose your soap, like the second or third time you lose your soap in the river, you realize, Oh wait, I've got to suds up out of the river on the bank of the river after I get wet. Because I keep losing soap, I'm going to run out of soap, and so, 
So you suds up on the outside, then you jump in to rinse off, and then you do that two or three times, and then you're clean. But we would never have learned that except a tribal watching a tribal friend of ours teach us how he, you know, washes in the river. And so, um, and so those were some, those were some like practical things. But ultimately, the end of the day, it takes a really certain type of missionary, a certain type of person that can be a missionary in the Amazon. You got to have. Mm-hmm. You got to have us. You, you got to know that that's what you're signing up for, right? It, you got to know that that you're you're saying yes to living in a remote, hard place, and it's it is, and, and have that kind of long term commitment. Everybody loves to visit the Amazon. Not many people want to live in the Amazon, right? Right. Like it's, and so the, having that person who can have, who can see the long term, who can see, like fifteen years down the road all of the investment on the front end that a church may be planted among a run, unreached tribal people group can actually be realized requires a certain mindset, right? It requires certain re- requires a certain heart. Right. And so, and so as we're teaching some of the practical skills of language and culture and, and survival techniques, at the end of the day, we really, we really invested a lot in kind of personal growth. How do you connect with Jesus? How do you maintain that personal devotion life and and spiritual vitality and heart that you can that you can pull from others that you can pull from your teammates that you can pull from Jesus directly that you have a, that your prayer life is on point that you may stay instead of return right and uh, as we you know as we refined our pro- process for 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 orienting new people to the field we really ended up spending a lot more time on character development and spiritual mm. development, um, knowing that most people can figure out the tricks of how to survive long-term in the jungle. Once you know how to clean a chicken, you're, it becomes second nature. You know, Once you learn how to <laughs> swallow you know, a tree grub and how to cook it right so, that's, so that it's eatable <laughs> or edible, once you figure that out, you don't have to be trained on that again. But Going back to the well, right? Going back to the living water each day and keeping your heart encouraged and filled with the Lord. That was the thing that we that we ended up spending the most amount of prayer and time and focus on. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, you said um, you kind of said an interesting thing about like how there's like a certain kind of person who can really be like a long term you know, just stay on the field, be in the jungles of Peru, right? And, you know, you obviously said a couple of things, just having a really clear vision and calling from the Lord and just really having that strong walk um, with Jesus every day where you're going to the well, right? But like, how does the average person who like grew up, you know, in urban America know if they are fit for life in the jungle, right? When you have just like zero context for it beforehand. Yeah. And and that was us, honestly. I mean, we lived in Florida and lived in these cities and worked in churches that were in cities and um and it 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 comes with just a like counting a person who can count the cost and see beyond the immediate worries or needs or whatever. Um so there is this kind of um a, a self-awareness and kind of uh inner strength, courage that you need. And that comes from the Lord. It's not self-generated, right? Um, and it's 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 dealing, having 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 to deal with your fears and having to deal with um, just that that character that God puts in us. Um, 
we, you know, so, so I, you know, I come from Florida from, from the, um, uh, from the suburbs, you know, without much context. Um, we've had folks on the field who, whose parents were missionaries in the jungle and who thrived there. But we also have, we also have like a single lady in a tribal location. She grew up in the Bronx, New York, and she left the Bronx, came to our team. We trained her and she's still out there working on a team in a tribal context. And so I'm not saying it requires some Rambo person who, right. you know, lives off of, you know, the, uh, has a knife and peanut butter and jumps out of an air, you know, a helicopter in the middle of the jungle. Yeah. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there's, there's a person there that, that has a grit, right. That has a, that has a long-term vision for gospel work that they're willing to and able to just withhold from what they think they need, hand it back yeah. to Jesus and say, Lord, whatever this requires, I'm willing to give and teach me how to live here, Lord, right. Teach me how to do that. And that's what I mean when I say kind of person, because yeah. our friend, um, our friend, uh, um, Jenny, that's in, uh, that's, that's from the Bronx, man. She is a rock star working with these, uh, tribal women and helping them and teaching them, teaching them, uh, to, she's teaching them Spanish and she's teaching them how to, 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 to live out the scriptures together in their, in their context and loving on those folks. And she is a five foot two, you know, amazing, missionary woman that just does it you know and so mm -hmm. um whereas some people who have been trained by some of the best mission agencies in the world they make it one year or two years and they come off and and so you're like what is it that keeps jenny on the field right and and keeps her going every day and living in a hard place but loving it like i want more of that she has a lot to teach me <laughs> yeah right right yeah it shows us it's not about physical strength or even you know, natural ability or mm -hmm. naturally maybe people who are interested in, in, you know, the Jungle outdoors living. or anything like that. Jungle <laughs> living. It's like it, the people that last long term and the people that are effective are sometimes the people that you wouldn't necessarily think of. Um, and I think it's cool that that's really what your role was, was kind of mm -hmm. helping people identify, is this for me? Or even cultivating those things internally when maybe there wasn't a lot externally that would appear to be someone who would be successful in a context like that. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. And, and, and we had plenty who came through who, who didn't make it in the jungle, but they were a perfect fit somewhere else. And so we have a few right. guys and a few girls came in, come in, come through our team. We'd go through the year. They learned Spanish. They'd go out to the jungle and they're just like, man, I, I didn't really like, how do you know from your couch in, you know, Iowa, what it's like to live in the jungle. You've got to go do it for a little bit and see if you're, if, if it works. And, and for some people it didn't, but we, we, we would not get discouraged by that. What we would do is we would just, we would point them into a direction where they could then take all of this, you know, experience and knowledge and the call that the Lord put on people's heart and send them to a city, right. Or send them to another town that had some of the things that they needed in order to do it. Because we always, from the beginning, we're looking for long-term workers not just somebody who's going to do something for a year, but where can you live for 10 or 15 years to bring the gospel? That's where we need you because that's what it's going to take to plant a church here. And so whatever that looks like in the world, that's where, that's where you need to be. Even if it may not be your, your ideal or your first choice, 
um, that's you know we 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 need long term people that can that can stick it out in places that can bring the gospel over a long a long a long haul. Yeah, love that example of pioneers, flexibility, and innovation at work. Yes. right there on the field. <laughs> Very cool. Well, and Peru is a place where you can work in the mountains, you can work in the city, you can work in the jungle, you can work mm-hmm. in the village. There's such amazing diversity in that country of of where there are people groups still in need of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have just yeah. one question. I know you said like cultural acquisition that you pick that you kind of work through with the teams in I guess in Pucapa and then Arequipa and in various villages, I'm sure. But like how much of does that how much of that transfers into like a tribe? Like if you learn culture in one setting, does that translate into a jungle village out in the Amazon? Uh, yes. Yeah, so the <clears throat> So we teach people um, how to think about culture and what questions right. to ask when they in, enter into a culture. Now, the answers they're going to get back is going to depend, you know, a Quechua versus a Spanish versus a, a Sheninga, let's say, people group. The information they receive back is going to be different, but it's being aware of what questions to ask in order to make those assessments. And so part of that practice was, okay, here are some questions in Spanish that you need to go to your, your neighbors and your, and go to the local park and go, you know, and while we're visiting this tribal location and ask these questions so that you can find out some answers and then ask these questions to other missionaries, ask these questions to two or three different people, and then make some notes, whether in your head or on a paper, and then bring it back and then let's unpack it a little bit and see where it takes us and so uh that's the kind of thinking that we would encourage people to do aaron thanks so much for for joining us today and just for sharing not only your own journey but also um just helping people envision what it looks like you know that first that first year or two as people do culture and language um, acquisition and also just the sense that it's a process that maybe God will even use to redirect you from the place that you might've thought you were supposed to go and that that's okay. You know, that's how, that's how this works, that, um, that there's flexibility, there's opportunities to change course. And that ultimately what we're looking for is a place that fits with where God has you, where your gifts are, where your passions are and where the need is. Um, so, so thanks for sharing with that. Before we go, we have some quick fire questions. So these are pretty easy to answer. Um, help us get a sense of, of who you are as a person. So you can pass on any of them, um, but they're short, they should be pretty easy. So coffee or tea? Coffee. All right. Early bird or, or night owl? Mm, both. Both. <laughs> go to bed late and get up early. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. You don't, wow. you don't require a lot of sleep, huh? <laughs> oh, I do, but I don't have those uh, options You don't right get now. it. <laughs> yeah. 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 So winter, spring, summer, or fall? A uh, fall for sure. Yeah. Window or aisle seat? Uh, aisle seat. Yeah. Dog or cat? Uh, dog, but we have all animals in our, yes. have had all animals in our house. So <laughs> any um, song you have on repeat on your iPod lately? Song or album? On repeat. Um, well, so there's this, um, there's this, uh, iTunes channel called Streetlights, and it's basically uh-huh. scripture that's put to like hip hop music or to like oh, really? a, a beat. 
And so when I run or do exercise, I just will listen to Romans with this yeah. kind of kind of like street hip hop undertone yeah. behind it as the guy is reading scripture. And it just there's a rhythm to it that just yeah. drives it into your heart. Me, huh? It helps me <clears throat> just appreciate the, the, the scriptures in a new way. It's called streetlights. And so I uh, if I do something and I, I, I put that on and, you know, there's the whole the whole Bible's on there. And so. You pick a pick a Bible, and if you got an hour, you can listen to twenty chapters, basically, of yeah. scripture while you're exercising or whatever. And and I find that is just allows me to think, and I, I love it. So that's awesome. Yeah. What's the strangest tradition you've witnessed on mm, on the field? Strangest tradition. Well, one of our one of our one of our best ones, the ones that we loved the best, was New Year's in. Pukalpa, mm -hmm. where, um, where they would ring in the new year by doing three things, burning couches and furniture in their front yards. So they'd drag <laughs> their old furniture out to the yard and they would set it on fire. Yeah. And then they would next to it, they would put like a straw man in, in old clothes. Right. And so the effigy yeah. of the old man. Right. And they would burn him as well. Oh. And then we would climb up to our water tower that was on our kind of in our house. And we climbed the ladder three stories up to huh. our water tower. And in every direction around our city, people would let off fireworks at midnight. Huh. And it was, I mean, you think Disney or like one of these places, New Year's things is big. These are all illegal fireworks. The whole country <laughs> says you cannot and will not and should not buy fireworks yeah. yet on new year's there are <laughs> millions of fireworks yeah. being shot oh up gosh. simultaneously 360 degrees yeah. in every direction and it's beautiful and so we would all and, go up as a family sit on the sit on the water tower and just ring in the new year with you know the smells of of burnt furniture couches. Yeah. and couches <laughs> and the beauty of every direction seeing these mm. wonderful you know, these wonderful lights. And so I, that's I fun. love that about. Wow. Yeah. That sounds town. awesome. It's just that's so, cool. so great. Yeah. How about a must pack item if you're going somewhere? Um, water filtration, some type oh, yeah. of water filtration and then a lighter. <laughs> yep. Um, it's, everyone thinks it's easy to make a fire with sticks and, uh, you know, but the, the, the only stick you need if you do it right, is a match. So if, you, match. Just come, <laughs> if you come prepared, you won't be worried about it. That's so good. I love, I always I love the way you it. answer that question. Like, not like going to be on a plane or going to go someplace with a hotel, yeah. right? Like I'm thinking like traveling in the jungle, I need water filtration yep. and fire. Lighting water and materials. fire. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's what I have. About, I just, yeah, yep, I just got it. I just had to unpack that this weekend because I needed my water and fire. So yeah. <laughs> How about one talent you wish you had? Uh, geez. One talent. Probably being more organized. Like I am, <laughs> I'm the talker and the dreamer and, but you know, I can get way far ahead and not have any plan to actually get there. So I'm just like, like, Oh, let's do this. This would be fun. This would be great. Yeah. But I don't have the skills really. I have to have other people around me to actually make any of that stuff happen. So. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. 
Well, thank you so much for taking the time and chatting with us, Aaron. It's been it's been great. Yeah, thank you guys so much. It's an honor, privilege to share our story and hope that uh, God will use it to encourage others. Well, if you're like me, you just have one question in your head. How do you cook a grub to make it taste good? Well, if you're curious and you want to hear about that, then you can find that bonus material by clicking the link in the show notes below. So one of the takeaways for me, I think, was Aaron talking about how it's not really a specific person from a physical standpoint that you would expect to be called to the jungle or to work well in a context like that, that the girl he talked about from the Bronx, um, who's doing so well there, who maybe nobody would expect to be the type of person you would think to find there. But, um, but then someone maybe who's all geared up and they've got their, their tactical gear and they've hiked mountains and things like that, they might not do well in an environment like that. So really what he was sharing was just the internal, um, wiring that someone needs to have and the calling and the spiritual formation that makes someone be able to go the long haul in a difficult place like a jungle village. Um, that was really, really cool to hear and just to see how um, how their team is discerning that and helping people figure that out. And if that's not where God has you and you're on a launch team, there's plenty of other places where where he might be calling you where you can be just as fruitful. So that that was an encouraging thing to hear from him. Yeah, I love that picture of like Rambo that he gave, right? Because obviously that's kind of, I think, what a lot of us sort of picture when we're thinking someone who's going to go off into the jungle, but instead it's just, you know, little Jenny from the Bronx, right? But she's making relationships and eating grubs and hanging out with tribal people. And that's just such a beautiful picture of uh, the grace of God at work in people's hearts and just giving them what they need and providing the strength they need um, to be able to survive in some of these really remote places, but to be able to share the love of Jesus there. And I just yeah. love what he shared about how he really just had such that deep conviction in one of their darkest and lowest moments on the field. So I really appreciated how honestly he shared about the about mm-hmm. those stories. Yeah. Well, if you want to find out more about what Pioneers is doing in South America, we've got in the show notes, in addition to the um, recipe or preparation guidance for grubs, you can find a photo essay from Bolivia and also um, a video about a father and son team that have handed out over 50,000 radios with audio Bibles there in, in Bolivia. And then there's several other articles and other pieces of content that you might find interesting. And also be sure to um, check out all the other content we have on our website and in our social channels. Thanks for following us on this episode of the Relentless Pursuit podcast. Our goal is to make missions accessible to show that it's not just reserved for elite super Christians. If you want to be involved, just go to pioneers.org start and answer a few questions. We have a team who would love to help you discern your calling and what your next steps might be. At Pioneers, we love to partner with local churches and send teams to people groups with little or no access to the gospel. Keep up with what God is doing by following us on Instagram, Facebook, X, and YouTube, all at Pioneers USA, one word, or visit pioneers.org. Thanks for listening.